let's pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, so to recap, we, uh, we started talking about Lent. We talked about practices, right? We talked about habits. Um, the Esau Macaulay has this quote, spiritual practices of fasting, prayer, Bible reading, works of justice do not lessen the work of Christ. Instead, these practices open up space to encounter the grace of God. So we talked about how the practices aren't working our spiritual muscles. They're about being available. Mm. And then last week we talked about sin and grace and balancing both of these things, right? That it's a reminder of the gravity of sin, but it also comes with a reminder of the utter depths of God's love. Um, And so this week, we're getting a little bit more practical again, and we're talking about two topics, not opposite like grace and sin are, but uh, repentance and renewal, which is actually the subtitle of Esau's book, right? The Season of Repentance and Renewal. Um, These two facets of Lent, how we bring ourselves to upon recognizing our sin and receive grace, what does that look like? Um, So Joy's going to start off to talk about repentance. Yeah, so um, you probably would have heard of repentance for our season of Lent, starting with Ash Wednesday. You get the ashes put on your head, the imposition, and things are said, um, from dust you became... Remember you are dust. Remember you are dust, and from dust you shall return. And then the line is said, turn away from sin and be faithful to Christ. Every one of us gets those words spoken to us during Lent. Clergy, the same as everyone in the seats. We all have that reminder. Um, And that's kind of setting the stage for what is repentance. We intentionally switched this week, by the way, just so that you wouldn't think that Andrew was Mr. You know, dread and only the hard things, and I was only the positive. I don't always want to be bad cop. (laughs) Yeah, so this isn't a good cop, bad cop thing. We intentionally switched so you would hear some different things from us. Um, But what is repentance? What are your thoughts? Yeah, turning yeah, turn away from around. what you were doing. Jim says to turn around. Yeah? It's, yeah, go. Grief, yes. Mm-hmm. There is all of these things encapsulated within repentance. Um, it is not just feeling bad or guilty. It's not just saying, my bad, or mm-hmm. I acknowledge that I messed up here, or I missed it. That's not the full thing. See, repentance is that turning away from sin that I heard us mention a couple of these things. It's, it's a shift, all right? Um, if you have been around young kids recently, you may have heard of a TV show called Daniel, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Have you heard of this one? Based on um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood had the puppets. Well, now there's the animated tales of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And there's usually really sweet songs to help with uh, learning life lessons in that. One of the songs is... Saying I'm sorry is the first step. Then how can I help? That's the second. (laughs) Okay. That's just a little Daniel Tiger treat for you guys. But what that means is, is that the sorry part comes first. And then there should be something that comes after. Okay. So there is a combination of both acknowledgement, your internal intentions. And then there is a shift in focus that usually involves some kind of actions, okay? You can say this in a lot of different ways. You can say intentions and actions. You can say 
repentance and reparations. You can say sorry and making amends, on and on and on. But there is a twofold approach to this, okay? So why we say that? Well, you can say sorry for a lot of things. I think we have all unfortunately experienced uh, hearing someone say sorry to us, but it feels a little hollow because they maybe don't change the behaviors. Maybe um, it doesn't feel sincere. Maybe it doesn't come with any sort of action, right? I'm sorry that I failed to do dot, 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 but I still keep doing the same thing that hurts you again and again and again is a problem. That doesn't fly in a relationship. If I say I'm going to unload the dishwasher and I don't, and he has to do that before work, it's not the end of the world. I might say sorry. But if it becomes a pattern where I say I will do it and I don't, but I've said sorry, is he going to believe that I sincerely feel that without seeing me make an attempt? Maybe not. Okay. I like how you switched it around as if you're the one who doesn't <laughs> empty the dishwasher. Well, I appreciate <laughs> that for me. I'm not trying to throw you as, under as the bus. chronic not emptier <laughs> of the dishwasher. Well, the, the point is the, these are small things, but these are examples that touch on bigger things of mm-hmm. ways that we can wrong each other or ways that we can um, maybe have a good intention but not act on it, and so we continue on this path. So the thought being, if we say we're sorry, whether it's to God or whether it's to one another, and we have no intention of changing what we're doing, it's like realizing that you're driving the wrong way down a road. And once you're aware of it, you just say, sorry, and keep right on going. You still have the potential of causing big amounts of problems for other people. You might feel bad, but you're also still pursuing and going the wrong way. The, the idea being, it should be clear to us, we are not always aware of when we sin or when we wrong each other, right? I'm not always aware of it. Sometimes I am, but sometimes I'm not. If we're not aware, the minute we become aware, we have this opportunity. What do we do now? God's desire for us when we recognize that we have done something wrong or are in the wrong, <laughs> we're going the wrong direction, is to stop and to turn around and go back as many times as we get off track, okay? Um, Another way of thinking about this, uh, musical theater people, Eliza Doolittle and uh, My Fair Lady says again and again, words, words, I'm so sick of words. There's an entire song called Show Me. If you love me, show me. It's a fun song. It's a cute song. But the idea is sound. If you love God, don't just give me words. Show me. Show me. We want to show with our actions that we truly do feel a sense of remorse or we feel a, a, we know that we have gone astray and we don't want to do that again. Okay? That doesn't mean you have to be perfect at it. It just means you have to get back after it again and again and again. Okay? So some examples that you might find in Scripture... Um, I particularly love in Luke 19, it's the story of Zacchaeus, right? We, we get the Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the short little man who is in a tree, all of this cute stuff. But when he finds out that he was doing wrong, he was extorting people. He was taking a little extra off the top. That's how he lived, okay? He didn't just take taxes. He took a little bit off the top so that he would live easy. 
Do you remember? What does he do when he gets convicted by Jesus of, of doing wrong? Do you remember? He gave back more than he took. Not just, not just giving back what I shouldn't have had. I want to make amends. So he gave a little more back. And he did that, not because he was shamed into doing that, but because he felt that need for remorse. Now, that doesn't mean you have to pay everyone every time you do something wrong. That's particularly what Zacchaeus did, but, but the mindset is the same. That's how we know we've been encountered, um, or we've encountered the living God, and that he is at work within us. That desire to change, that desire to do right, that desire to make amends, that comes from him. Okay? Um, should I read this next portion out loud, or do you want me to just yeah. reference it? Read it out loud. Okay. I'm going to read a passage out loud for you. This is uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians, okay? And he's talking about repentance to this church. And I want you to take a listen to what he says, because he, in a couple of verses, he gives some nuanced understanding here. This is 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 11. So let me just make sure I'm confirming. Here, okay. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter. So... Paul had a, a group of Christians who were not holding, they were not pulling their weight in the church. They were not giving tithes. Other churches had to make up for their lack of generosity, and Paul's calling them to accounts here with love, okay? Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. How on earth can he say they have been proven to be innocent when this is the church that has done wrong? It's by their remorse, their repentance. Because once they understood what they were doing, they changed course. Okay, it's a it's a really nuanced picture, and he speaks about how um, repentance isn't meant to cultivate this shame and this guilt feeling. Okay, there are elements of that with repentance, but that's not supposed to be the long term place that we are left. That's supposed to be a feeling that causes us to turn. It's not our permanent place in God. He wants us that to be a turning point, not a ditch we get stuck in. All right. Um, and because of that, we can feel repentance. It's a hard feeling. I don't like being wrong. Okay, I don't like being wrong just with like a basic fact. I especially don't want to think that I have wronged somebody or that I might have hurt somebody or that I made a big mistake. I don't know anyone who likes those feelings. But it's an opportunity to turn it around, okay? Um, rather than beat ourselves up about the fact that we did wrong, God wants us to use that as a turning point moment, okay? Because that's the spoiler alert. We all do wrong. <laughs> we all wrong each other. We all wrong God. All fall short, save but for the grace of God.
okay? Um, and he wants us to turn. Um, so I think that's, what I have here is just this idea that God's grace isn't just about forgiving our sins, but healing us to be able to walk in step with God. Just as repentance isn't about, isn't just about confession, like I did wrong, but it's about turning around and taking proactive steps to return to walking in grace. Does that make sense? It's that little focal point. We're, we're turning, okay? Um, Can I jump in here? Yeah. I, I think, and that, you know, last week we talked about grace and sin, and we talked about, like, the multifaceted ways of understanding sin and that grace is healing. I think the reason we wanted to do that first before we talked about repentance is because sin isn't just, like, credit or debit on our account that gets wiped off that's somehow separate from us yeah sometimes when we confess sins and we we sort of want to feel better we want to feel grace which is god offers right away right god is ready to hear ready to forgive yeah but we almost want to separate our spiritual lives from the rest of our lives Hmm. that there's this thing called my spiritual life which has (laughs) to do with moral right and wrong that i ask for forgiveness for and i sort of get that worked out but then there's the rest of my life where i'm actually living um but we're not like that in, in reality, right? right? It's We're holistic people, body, right. mind, soul. They're, they're all working together. And so repentance isn't just a matter of clearing the accounts, but it is right. that sense of, of, okay, God, there's a way that leads to death, and there's a way that leads to life, and I've been walking the way that leads to death, and, and I, I, I repent of that, I turn from that, but I want to start taking some steps that lead to life. It's not just, well, I want to stop walking to death, until I walk to death again, until I walk to death again. <laughs> Although we still do that, right? The fact that we might repent and turn a little bit, we are prone to wander. Yeah. <laughs> we're, yeah. We're, we're often drawn that way. But, yeah. but repentance, be, because we want to be healed. We want to actually live the ways that, that are participating with God's grace, not ways that participate with sin. And it's the reason why we dive into Scripture and we, and we dive into prayer. It's so that when we go off track we will understand and be able to be called back. If the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice, we need to make sure we do too. Not just because we're told to, but because when we go off track, it's God who's calling us back. And I think um, I have a dog and I love her, but she is not the most obedient, okay? So I think I'll let, hey, okay, so she's very cute, but has her issues. So Luke will let her outside. And then she'll start barking out a squirrel and just going nuts. And we say, okay, she's got to come back in so she doesn't drive our neighbors crazy, right? So I'll say, Luke, can you get her inside? Now, Luke will be outside calling, and Sophie's not listening. If I go out there and give my very stern mom voice where it's, Sophie, come, she comes running. And she sits right there at the deck looking at me like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I wasn't listening before, but I'm here. That's the type of thing we get to do, not with the guilt associated with it, but because if I go off-roading and I'm, and I'm really making some bad choices, I want to be able to recognize when God is saying, Joy, get back here, <laughs> to be able to turn around. I want to have a fast recall, okay? And so we do that by practicing hearing from God, by being in his word, by worshiping together, by praying. We are building up that... Um, we are building up our listening skills and our ability to hear God call us back lovingly to where we should be going in the first place. Um, anything you would add here before you start talking about renewal? Anything that I want to say before I say other yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, about repentance. Anything yeah. about repentance. 
Yeah, and I think it's so easy to slip into either like, okay, like sort of self-immolation, like, okay, I need to feel bad, I got to do all these things, and then like, all right, God hasn't really forgiven me until I do the things to have earned it, right? It's easy to slip into that side where we diminish God's grace. Right. And it's so easy to slip into the other side where where we treat God's forgiveness as doesn't matter, mm. right? That's what we do when, when someone apologizes to you. You usually don't say, I forgive you. You say, like, no, no problem, right? But, of course, that's not what's going on. I think we talked about this last week. God really forgives us and really desires good for us to, to be well. And so the call to repentance isn't just, again, the, the lawgiver sitting outside yes. trying to settle court cases. This is a God who loves us, who says, I am grieved that you ran away from the things that lead to life. And I desire for you to head in the right direction. And it's that love that drives us there. So when we do these acts after, after we repent, after we confess our sins and try and do good things, it's not that we're saying, okay, God, I'm really going to prove that I really mm -hmm. mean it. Which is sometimes, I mean... That's not bad. When I don't empty the dishwasher, I do eventually, after weeks and months of not doing it, I do need to show <laughs> joy that I mean it. Right. That I will, in fact, empty the dishwasher. But it's, it's, God's, it's us saying to God, I, I want to start doing the things that, that lead to life. Um, that's why in sort of the, the best version of a sort of Catholic system of confession and repentance and the, the penance. Um, as Protestants in the Reformation, we were like, hey, that's not how it works. You don't earn God's salvation. Right. And, and maybe in some places it's abused by, like that. The best version of it, I like to, to give the best version of how other people practice their faith, yeah. is that after I confess that I've done this, in a confession, the priest says, hey, here is how I'm going to encourage you to show the fruit of repentance. Hmm. That's how John the Baptist talks about it, right? When, when the Pharisees come and he's, he's like, why are you guys coming out, you brood of vipers? The axe is already at the root of the trees, right? John the Baptist is harsh. But then he says, show fruit that show your repentance. Yeah. Fruit grows out of something. Fruit doesn't exist on its own. You don't just make a fruit out of nothing. You don't <laughs> bake a fruit. Fruit grows from a vine. And so repentance or a tree. Or a tree it it yeah. comes from something. There is a root of something. I guess a vegetable grows on a vine. Or fruit juice as well. Yeah, there's a lot. It depends. You, you can tell I know a lot about food. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the point is that repentance, it's not shame. It's not right. I am horrible. It's I, I, have, I have done wrong, and I desire to do good. And you let that desire grow into right action. But you let yourself be a whole person. You let yourself be a full person with a full life. I'm like, okay, my, my soul has been grieved, and now I want my life to reflect that. I had a pastor friend, and she described it this way. We are not ourselves God. We are also not worms. God calls us his own. But we don't make the mistake of thinking that we are the be-all, end-all, and we get to determine what's actually wrong or right. And we certainly don't think that we are absolutely nothing, lower than dirt, something that has no value. Those are the two extremes. God has called us neither. He has called us beloved children. And that's a very different. So avoid those two extremes, right? Either I'm worth nothing, I'm terrible, I have no value, blah, 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 blah. That's not healthy. That's not good. Nor is it good to continue on by saying, I did nothing wrong. How dare you be offended by that? I've got nothing to learn here. I have never apologized for anything in my life. Those are two extremes. We're not called to either. So think of those as kind of your guardrails, so to speak, right? So practically, 
repentance might look like if it's I keep forgetting to do the thing I'm supposed to do. Maybe mm-hmm. repentance is resolving and starting to take some steps to like I'm going to make sure I do I'm going to make sure I empty the dishwasher like I said I would. Mm-hmm. Maybe if there's a bad habit, maybe it's you have to swap it out with a good habit. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if someone's trying to quit smoking, they can't just say, I'm going to quit smoking and nothing will take the place of that in my life, right? Like, if you've known someone who's tried to give up smoking, it can't just simply be resist. There has to be a positive aspect. Usually. So, usually. So often the repentance means, okay, instead of, instead of smoking every day, I'm going to use that time to, I'm gonna, you know, sometimes they chew gum or maybe I'm going to do this other thing instead. But I'm going to choose to take on a positive habit to replace it. So Zacchaeus is an example, right? Like, he doesn't just... He restores things, and he sells half of his possessions. He chooses to pay people back. He sort of says, if I ripped anybody off, I'll pay back four times. Bad news for Zacchaeus, he probably ripped some people <laughs> off. Well, ba- good news for Zacchaeus, though, right. right? So it's that idea of, okay, what's a thing that I can do that, that is fruit of the repentance of that thing? God, I, 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 I was a real jerk to my neighbor. Mm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to say this person that I have a hard time with, I'm going to choose to actively pray for them to help me move in that right direction. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I've been spending so much time binge watching Netflix and I've avoided doing any sort of devotional work. I'm going to cut out, cut down my Netflix time and I'm instead going to pray during that mm-hmm. time, right? Repentance will look different depending on what it is you're repenting of, but it's thinking of very, very small practical steps. Mm-hmm. The, the one risk of Zacchaeus as our example is, we tend to think every sin then is like, sell half my possessions and right. give them to the poor. Sometimes repentance is just taking that first faithful yeah. step, just the next right step. It doesn't have to be a full throw up my entire life. It's not bad. But sometimes we set goals of like, I repent of every sin and I'm going to repent by being a perfect person. <laughs> and that's going to fail. Right. But maybe saying, here's the one next right thing I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, it's, it doesn't have to be in a sit-down confession with a priest, but it is helpful to have other people involved in our spiritual lives. Yeah. We need other people in repentance so we can say, help me be accountable to this thing I've promised, or maybe help me think through how can I set this thing right. Yeah, and you can do that with a friend. You can say, I got this thing. I know I messed up here with this relationship. Mm. What do you think? Any thoughts on how I can work to make it better, mm. right? Um, I've done that. I've done that. Maybe you consult a family member. Maybe it's your partner. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's a good friend who knows you, a counselor, whatever. Sometimes there are knots that we are not meant to untangle ourselves. But I would say the best place to start would be with God. Then if you need more, add in more supports. <laughs> um, you'd be, I, have, I have yet to find that if I pray and ask God, show me how to, show me how to forgive, show me how to extend forgiveness, show me how to be repentant or how to make amends, God has not failed to answer me yet. Okay? And we pray. When we think of our confessions, we we say together every Sunday, and God, whose nature is always to have mercy, right? Um, We get to show that ourselves, right? But God will, he likes to answer these prayers. He won't leave you hanging, especially when he knows that you're wandering, that's not his business. He wants to call you back. Yeah. Are there any thoughts before we move on to renewal on repentance? Oh, you're going to picture it now. 
Yeah. Well, hey, we're all Sophie sometimes, and I, I mean, I love her dearly, but but we all have those moments of recall. You're gonna you're gonna picture it now. You're gonna see it. I can even share a picture of my dog so you see the cute and just imagine the behavior in the yard. But we are all that sometimes, and God is always the one calling us back, saying, "Come back. What were you doing? Come back." Yeah. Right. All right. So we're gonna transition from. Sometimes it's turning away from things, but sometimes Lent's about renewal. Mm. This is where we talk about revival a little bit, right? We all like the idea of revival. Oh, yeah. Revival sounds good. Built into our church calendar is a season that expects that in a lifelong faith, zeal will fade. Not mm. for some of us, but for all of us, right? That's not a bug. That's just how it is. That's just simply how it is. Or if it's a bug, it's a bug we all share. Yeah. Right? This will happen. We don't always feel on fire. We do not always feel excited. Um, and sometimes, you know, those of us who uh, who came to liturgical churches from, like, other other traditions. You know, I came, I was a Baptist beforehand, and so I came into this liturgical church, and all this, the seasons were awesome. Like, the first time I had Lent, it was awesome. The first time I had a, an Easter vigil, it was awesome. Like, it was so cool and new and fresh, and I felt like God did all this stuff. And the second time, it didn't have the same mm. effect. It didn't it because it, it wasn't quite as new and so the first few years it was this big talk about like these ancient traditions will change your life and then like a decade <laughs> in you're like yeah yeah just another holy week all over again <laughs> um th th then you start to get a little bit of gallows humor some of the clergy sometimes with the busyness of holy week remind each other remember not even jesus makes it alive through holy week that's a <laughs> sort of joke a little bit with ourselves right and and they're they're good but our our zeal fades mm. which is natural that is simply how it happens, which is why we pray for revival. Corporately, individually, we recognize, God, I, I want to I feel that passion for yes. you again. I want to be excited about the things of God. Um, in fact, this has been always a feature because Israel was given yearly festivals to remind them of things. They have to remember and tell their kids, hey, you were once this, not literally, but like we were once Foreigners in a strange land. That's yeah. why you have to treat people well. The, the most frequent commandment in the Old Testament is to remember. Yes. Right? How often do we forget? How often do we forget what happened to us? How often do we forget what God's done for previous generations? That's just how things work. So Lent has built into it this season for renewal. Remember you are dust. Right. And from <laughs> dust you shall return. And zeal, so enthusiasm, we can all agree, that's a good thing, right? It is good to be excited about your faith. Um, sometimes you'll find more uh, stodgy, maybe, Anglicans, stodgy. More, more sort of uptight Anglicans who aren't as excited yeah. about enthusiasm. They're about good order. Uh, sometimes I can be that person, and mm. I like good order. Uh, but, of course, enthusiasm is great. We have to be careful with enthusiasm, though, right? We've all seen zeal for God go astray. Yeah. We've seen people who are, are so on fire for Jesus and they're just ready to go. And sometimes it takes a little bit of discernment to figure out whether that's, whether that's the spirit or my breakfast pointing me in that direction. And I got to ask someone else, hey, what's going on? Because th there's a theological truth we always have, which is the feeling of God's presence is not the same as God's presence because God's presence is promised, mm. right? There is no place we can flee God's spirit. There is no place you're going to go that Jesus hasn't already been working. That's right. It's a thing we remind people who do mission work, right? When you enter a new space, 
God's already been at work there. Yeah. God's working in someone's heart before you talk to them. So we know that God's always there, but we don't always feel like it. And so we remind ourselves and we try and, we try and get some fuel for our engine, right? Uh, sometimes our car is running on like high test, great fuel, and we are getting great gas mileage and we're going. And sometimes that car is out of fuel and it's just running on momentum. Or sometimes fumes just to pull into the church parking lot. I have <laughs> been there. Who has been on spiritual fumes rolling into this place? Yep. Come on now. We all have, right? Sometimes yeah. the, the car is dead and you need a bunch of friends to help push you to the gas station. That's the church, friends. Sometimes yeah. you are out of gas yeah. and you can't feel it and, and you're not there and you need friends to drag you through like like the paralytic's friends who bring him to Jesus. He can't do it himself. And thank God for the church of people that God gave us a body of other people to bring us. So it's good to put fuel in the car, though. It is good to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. And it is good when our hearts and our souls and our minds and all of us are engaged in worship. Mm -hmm. um, so Lent is this chance for us to bring ourselves to God and to be present. Some people talk a lot about the, the revival that happened in Asbury, right? And, and when that happened, everybody had to start assessing it from afar, right? Bishop Mark in his email talking about it, you know, pointed out that all of us sit there and we start to get excited. And we're like, wait a minute, does this count as real revival? Because revival actually <laughs> has to include, right? And we start to put our criteria on how God's going to work. There is a feature that a lot of people bring up that revival often starts with repentance, Right? In order for, for us to come back to God, it's good to have our hearts rent before him, to come back and say, all right, God, I, I done messed up, and I'm ready for you to do that kind of work. Hmm. Revival is good. But the funny thing about revival is, of course, God's going to show up however God's going to show up. There's this really cool line, and I think it's Prince Caspian in the yeah. Chronicles of Narnia, where one of the Pevensey children has seen Aslan, but like the other kids haven't, and and... Like, Aslan, why didn't you do it like you did last time? Because Prince Caspian's, of course, the second time they visited Narnia. And, and Aslan says, I, I don't show up the same way twice, <laughs> right? How has that been true in your life? Think about it. Has God shown up and ministered to you in those moments where you felt a closeness to God? Does he show up in a predictable way? Or does he show up through people or through events that you don't expect? And when we long for revival, we tend to want to, like, manufacture and we think hey let me get the conditions right <laughs> the only condition that we need is for us to be open in front of god and that's the only condition that's why lent is a season of renewal because it's the season for us to take a hard look at ourselves to take a look at our lives and be open in front of god and say god you do this however you want to do this you do this in whatever way you want it's a scary thing because that requires us to to give up control Sometimes when we've experienced a sense of revival before, we're familiar with it. And so we're like, okay, I know how that works. So I, I want to do that again because I remember that. And I remember that experience. And so I want to go back to doing that. Um, but that's not always how God works. And there's a, there is some connection here that the verse that came to mind as Andrew was talking was Psalm 126. Those who sow with tears will reap with joy, mm -hmm. right? So if the church is called to repentance in this season... That is sowing seeds that God can use to cash in for joy in just a short while. Easter is coming. The party's coming, guys. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, 
so it's a temporary thing. Yeah. It's not our permanent state. Easter is 50 days, Lent is 40. Right. The, the celebration is longer than right. the preparation. Thank, Thank God. Thank Jesus. Yes. yes. Exactly right. It is good. And that's, that's an intentional move. Yeah. I mean, part of it is, well, for whatever reason, it's a good thing. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how all the decisions were made to make Lent 40 days and Easter 50. But it's a really good chance for us to, to engage in that. Yes. One thing that I think has been really helpful in my own spiritual journey is, is what does zeal for God look like? And sometimes we think about the, f- the sort of excitement we had when we first came to faith. For some of us, that might have been like as a teenager. And like we think about those like tearful moments as a teenager. And those are good. I work in youth ministry. This is good stuff, right? Yeah. But there's a really helpful image that I, I read once in a book um, called The Dark Night of the Soul by a, a, an ancient Christian called St. John of the Cross. And he talks about what it's like to experience those seasons where it's dry, the dark night of the soul. And he describes it like being weaned. Sometimes we think about our distance from God as a, as a failure on our part, mm. or that if we're not feeling it, if we're not enthusiastic, something's wrong with us. But St. John of the Cross says sometimes it's like a child being weaned, where they don't receive comfort immediately, and God's allowing you to go through a, a darker season so that you might have a more, a different kind of relationship with God. As we grow older, it might be that we don't receive comfort the same way we used to. Mm. You think a, a child who's nursing gets food immediately, right away, right? Nursing children get their needs met immediately. We, we generally <laughs> frown on cry it out when it comes to feeding Maybe to get the kid to sleep, that's one thing. But like, kid needs food, kid gets food. But what does Paul talk about when he talks about spiritual maturity? He says, you used to be on milk, but I want to give you solid food now. So sometimes, as you we grow in our faith... You have to wait for the food to cook, right? It takes a little while. Yeah, and you might feel those hunger pains. Yeah. It takes a while for a meal to be prepared. But because you can understand that food is in fact coming, you have the ability now to wait a little bit longer in good faith that the meal will be there. Spiritually, we are invited to further further up and like farther in and further up or whatever. The idea is the deeper we go, the more there is to learn. And that is an uncomfortable place for us to be. I'd like to stay more comfortable. Thank mm. you. God doesn't he's not that interested in our comfort so much. Our spiritual health, yes. <laughs> our growth, yes. Oh, I, I know. I've had talks with him about this. Like, God, I'm not loving this. Thank you. I would prefer that you were more concerned with my comfort right now. Um, but that's very rarely the case. He wants us to be safe, healthy, and whole, and reassured by him. Mature. And mature. Yeah. But he wants more for us than we see for ourselves. And those are seasons of discomfort when he calls us in. How many of you have ever been in this, like, after a surgery or something's gone on and you've had to go you've had to suddenly have a diet of just like shakes or like after you get your wisdom teeth out, you can't eat solid food. Right. And you have to go back to like a liquid diet. You, you can get all the nutrients you need in that moment. It's not a lot of fun to go back to that though, is it? Mm. Then think about what it's like to have a feast. Yeah. Think about like, like I instantly think about like steak and potatoes, like a good, <laughs> like home cooking. Sometimes you have like fancy food that's delicious. And sometimes you have like a good meal and it's just like, like a good bowl of chicken soup or like good comfort food mm. and think about how you feel. It's not as remarkable. It's not as, it's not as instantly satisfying, but when you eat it, you are filled and it is good. 
And I think when I think about renewal, and when I think about people who are mature in faith that I look up to, they seem to be people who are having feasts. Mm. They are people who seem to know the goodness of God deep in the marrow of their bones. And they experience joy at God. Like there's no, it's not as if they are cold. They are warm and they love God. And when they worship, they are there and they, because they have seen God work in their lives. But it's not about immediate quick rushes. It's about people who have drunk deeply from the well. And they have, they have really been able to feast on who God is. So when I think about renewal that I want during Lent, some of the bringing things back, some of the not getting the experience of comfort that I usually want, I think, okay, God, teach me to drink deeper. Mm. Teach me to drink, to not need comfort all the time. And when things are hard, to keep leaning in and to have a deep abiding presence that I can tell you are with me. Even if it's a little bit, it's not instantaneous, but it's better. Um, there's a, I think I told this story maybe last week, but I'll tell it again anyway. There's a guy at, uh, I got a guy at my last church who talked about his experience of faith. Um, and he was in his fifties and he had a good friend die in a car crash and it was just, it broke his faith apart and he built up. It took him a while to sort of have something that looked like a faith afterwards. And he said, you know, looking back, it's different and it's not as easy anymore, but, but it's better. It's something more remarkable. What came up with complexities of life was a more robust faith than what he had before when it was simple. And we teach kids a simple faith because that's what they need and that's where they are. And that's good. It's good to have faith wherever it is. But let's let our enthusiasm, especially Lent, especially as we go through some of the hard work of taking honest looks at ourselves and seeing what's broken and repenting and turning to God. The goal is then to try and ask God to build up a faith that's, that's got deeper foundations, mm-hmm. that's a little more rooted. It's, it's sometimes, sometimes it's flashy. Sometimes you're still broken on the floor in front of God, and it's great. It, none of those things are bad. Zeal is good. It is good for our hearts to be fully engaged in worship. Thank yes. God for those moments. But let's let those moments, those moments fuel something a lot deeper something that's more abiding, something that we can be with God and we can know that he is good and his goodness. When I think about goodness, I really think about that deep abiding presence. I don't think about the kind of goodness that comes from like candy. I think about goodness that comes from a rich meal, a feast. Mm. So that's kind of, that's kind of my, my sense when I think about renewal and Lent. I think yearly we get another chance to repent, to turn to God, and really taste and see that he's good. And renewal is something that we get to call upon every single day. It can be a moment-by-moment thing. It can Mm -hmm. be a daily thing. It can be a seasonal thing. Just because we are in the season of the church year that emphasizes repentance and renewal does not mean that renewal can only be found in Lent. Amen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there are times where you need to call upon that. There are times where you can say, God, I'm really on empty here. I'm not feeling it. I'd like to. Can you do something about that, please? Can you share some, please? Um, This doesn't have to mean that you never get to have the happy sparks and hearts feeling. I call that sparks and hearts. You know when you're just new in a relationship, new friend, new partner, everything's amazing. They're the best. I'm so happy. I had such a great time. We have those moments in faith, too. But we also have that deepened and 
more secure relationship where it doesn't always have to be sparks and hearts. It can just be good, okay? So you can ask for both, right? I don't think that the more mature Christian means that you never feel joy. I think that is a mistake to say that. Or that we're called to be more mature. We are above things like zeal. Yeah, we don't, we don't get excited like that anymore. We now have decorum. No, that's not us either, okay? We just know now that that's not a requirement for us being able to worship, okay? So I encourage you to be able, when you ask for renewal, just to have a very open hand with renewal. God, I am ready to receive whatever you want to give. I'm ready to act how you want me to act. I'm ready to do what you want me to do. And I'm, I'm ready to see what shape that takes. I won't even, I have my preferences, which God, you know. Um, but I won't even require you to do it that way. And let's see what happens. Let's see what type of renewal that is. Sometimes that might be you praising God like a fool, where you have let it all go. And sometimes it just might be you sitting in quiet. And in peace with God, just saying, thank you. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought about fuel for a fire, right? When you're starting a fire, you need a fire starter. Like, you need something that's going to be burned hot and fast and quick. But you need something hot and fast and quick to get your kindling started, to eventually get your logs started. And if you want a healthy fire, you got to have some nice, quality pieces of firewood that are, are warm and going. And sometimes, if it's cooling down a little bit, you can throw in a big bundle of newspaper, and it's going to flash and burn really hot. And that's fine, but those hot bundles of newspaper can't keep your fire going. Bundles of or newspaper. It's gonna, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out quickly. And you can keep trying to throw a new bundle of newspaper every time, as I'm very bad at <laughs> starting fire. So I'm often trying to do that. Like, please, just start. We're speaking like, from experience. This is... <laughs> I, I pray that my spiritual life is better than my fire-starting abilities. <laughs> you just keep throwing them in there, and maybe sometimes you got to get that kickstart, but the goal yeah. isn't to keep on finding more bundles of newspaper. It's to find some, some good, healthy logs that, that, can can be, sustain. that can sustain things. Yes. Yes. And the word renew is in the word renewal. Yes. Yeah. So I'm praying for that. That's, this is what I think it's going to take. It's just kind of, I'm naive. I'm well, it, it might be... I mean, it might be the same, or it might look remarkably similar. It's not that just because God has done one thing once with you, it's never going to be related. God can do whatever he wants. It's just, if I'm only asking, God, I really want you to speak to me, and I'm only looking for a billboard, I might miss the fact that my neighbor is the one who says it to me, right? So it's, um, God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, and he will, okay? Um, so just be prepared for the unexpected, but it's just, you know, he's not working with the basic eight pack of crayons that he can reach us with. Hmm. He's got the whole Crayola factory. Okay. Does that make sense? Is that speaking to you? Um, he can get at you and do things in any number of ways. So maybe he will pull out the red crayon and do it again. Maybe he won't though. So just be open to that. Um, be open to however he's going to come and do something. Um, yeah. So speaking of new things, we're going to try something a little bit different. We've been talking about practices and openness and all these things. So we're going to try to run through a little spiritual discipline, a little spiritual exercise to close, uh, to close us t- today um, called Lectio Divina. Has anybody heard of Lectio Divina before? Is this familiar? Let's go. Okay. <laughs> so it means divine reading. Um, 
And what it is, is this is a, a, a way to read scripture that is um, not a Bible study where we're gonna, you're going to hear some words and you're going to sit there and say, okay, what does this mean in context? Mm. That is good and I highly encourage it. Right. What this is, is a chance for us to read scripture meditatively. Right. In a way that says we're going to hear this passage, we're going to read it slowly, and then we're just going to spend time in stillness asking God to reveal things to us. I often joke that the way God prepared me to be at a, at a charismatic church was for me to be really interested in contemplative exercises like this. Because right. I I'd spent years at a church that wasn't really charismatic, but, but I really loved doing practices where we were open to hearing from God in these sorts of practices. So that's how God prepped me. That was my like... You didn't know it. Yeah. I talk sometimes about learning charismatic as a second language. So uh, th this is my Portuguese to get to Spanish, if that makes <laughs> sense, right? Like, yeah. 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 So we're, we're, <laughs> we're getting there. So uh, do you want to read first? And yeah. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to read the, the Second Corinthians passage that Joy already read. Yeah. And we're going to read it three times. But we're going to give you three different translations. We'll give you three different translations. Same verses. I promise you. Okay, so one of the versions, what are you reading from? I'm reading from the New English Translation, the NET Bible. Okay, um, I will be reading from the First Nations Translation. Okay, so that's going to sound a little different. And then the New NIV Translation will be the last one. Okay, so it will be the same verses, but it's going to sound a little different each time. Okay. And what we want you to do is, in between each reading, we're going to have a few minutes of silence. Now, a few minutes is going to feel really long if you're unaccustomed to being still and silent. Like two minutes, guys, so don't yeah, panic. Don't worry. Okay? You, you'll don't be panic. Right. I do this with middle schoolers, so <laughs> you can do it. I promise. <laughs> and each time, ask God to reveal something to you. The first time, just see what jumps out at you and just spend a few, you'll spend a few minutes just kind of meditating on it and saying, okay, God, what, what jumped out at me? Yeah. The second time you hear it, start to think, okay, what is this, why might this be coming out? Why might this be the thing that God's pulling out? And then the third time, think, okay, God, th this seems to be where I am. What do you think I should be doing with this? Um, and we think about what should I do, like what's my next step. I often think in, in three potential terms. There's our, our heads, our hearts, or our hands. Is there a different way I need to shift my thinking? Is there a way that, God, you want to capture my heart differently? Or is there some kind of real action, action I need to do? And it can be any, it can be, it can be one, it can be three, right? Um, but that third time, think, okay, God, head, heart, hands, which one, and how might you be calling me to do something? Um, we'll give you little prompts after each reading to remind you. Don't, don't worry. worry. You don't have to. This is guided. This is all guided. So, um, yeah. So what we'll do is we'll start. I'm going to spend probably uh, 10 seconds quiet for us to just still our hearts and be open to God. And then I'll read it for the first time, and then we'll walk you through these prompts. Paul says, For even if I made you sad by my letter, I do not regret having written it, even though I did regret it, for I see that my letter made you sad, though only for a short time. Now I rejoice. Not because you were made sad, but because you were made sad to the point of repentance. For you were made sad as God intended, that you were not harmed in any way by us. For sadness as intended by God 
produces a repentance that leads to salvation, leaving no regret. But worldly sadness brings about death. For see what this very thing, this sadness as God intended, has produced in you. What eagerness, what defense of yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what deep concern, what punishment. In everything, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Spend just a moment thinking, what is it that jumps to mind when God might be saying to you? This is the second reading, and this is from the First Nations translation, so it will sound different to you. Paul says, I know that letter I wrote caused you sorrow. At first, this made me wish I had not written it. But since your sorrow was only for a short time, I no longer feel that way. Now my heart is glad, not that you were made sad, but that your sadness led you to change your ways. This is what Creator wanted so that you would not be harmed by our letter. With the help of the Great Spirit, sorrow can create a change of heart that will not turn back, which sets us free and makes us whole. But there is a sorrow in this world that leads only to death. Look at what Creator has done in you. He has turned your sorrow into something good. You took my warnings to heart, restored your reputation, and put your anger to good use. You treated my counsel with great respect, and your burning desire was to make the wrongs right again. In every way, you have represented yourselves in a good and sacred manner. This time, spend a couple minutes just thinking why that thing came to mind and what it is that God might be trying to tell you.
This is going to be the last time we hear this through, all right? This is the NIV, the TNIV. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, and it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Take this last little period of silence and and ask God what it is he might have you do differently because of this reading. close with this blessing. May the Lord be kind to us and gracious to us. Make his face shine upon us and give us his peace. Amen. Next week we'll be talking about Holy Week and making the shift from repentance and renewal into joy. Okay? So be ready.